This week on the Drew Goodman Podcast with Julie Brownman, the Rockies are on the field. Everybody really is taking this seriously. They were social distanced. All the coaches had masks on. Trainers had masks on. Tony Walters and Tony's talking about actually wearing a mask under his face mask. How does the 60-game sprint impact the Rockies' postseason chances? The Rockies' playoff chances actually went from, on fan drafts, from 0.5% for a 162-game season to close to 17% for a 60-game season because anything can happen. And Rockies outfielder Sam Hilliard describes what it was like to homer in his big league debut at Coors Field last September. I knew it was gone right when I connected. I don't even remember running around the bases. I remember making contact. I remember stepping on second base and thinking to myself, don't trip. This is the Drew Goodman Podcast with Julie Brownman. Welcome, everybody, to podcast number 52 of the Drew Goodman Podcast with Julie Brownman. 52, last time I checked, is a full year. We were getting all excited about number 50, but this is uh, concluding a full year. We've had a blast doing it, and Julie was so excited about eclipsing the one-year mark she's taking this week off and uh, substituting for her, I'm uh, really proud to say, is my middle son, Zach, who is going to be a junior at Webster University in St. Louis, and he is a uh, broadcast major, communications major, so he is uh, he's with us. Sam Hilliard is going to be our special guest in a little bit, but uh, first, I bring you uh, Zach. How you doing, bud? I'm doing great. How are you? I am well. You asked me out this morning when when you got out of bed, so I'm still doing uh, pretty well. I think some change in a few hours. You're absolutely right. Hey, I want to ask you, uh, before we start talking about the Rockies and, and what is now going on, which is summer camp or spring training 2.0, you're a college baseball player, and I was down um, you know, with, with your mom watching games in Florida, and then all of a sudden it, it basically abruptly ends. Take us through your mindset and your teammates' mindset at the time in March when all of a sudden you realize you're not going to play a college baseball season and, and at the D3 level, you guys started out number one in the country. Yeah, so it was uh, it was definitely very interesting because we'd go down to spring uh, for spring break to Florida. And at that time, COVID was just kind of something that you heard in the news, but it wasn't a big deal. And then five days later, they're talking, teams are already talking about how they shut down. Uh, their entire season. So it's kind of like a whirlwind. You go down there and you're the, the number one team in the country. You're looking to to play really well. And, and all these games are really important. And next thing you know, you're playing a bunch of scrimmages because you know that the season's going to come to an end. So it was, it was definitely very interesting and definitely very emotional for a lot of seniors. Every time coach called us together, seniors would start kind of tearing up and stuff. And because you never know when your season's going to end, and, especially when, and careers, especially when it just kind of happens out of nowhere. Well, the one blessing, as uh, some of you may know, is that the NCAA has allowed a fifth year or an extra year for those seniors or anybody, actually, because you will be eligibility-wise a sophomore next year. And so that is a nice benefit. Yeah, so it, it, it'll be fun. I get an extra year of college baseball. Uh, it's a difficult situation, though, as in D1 and D2 guys, they get their scholarships. If they're on scholarship, they get their scholarship again. But for Division three guys they don't get another year of scholarship because there are no scholarships in division three baseball. So a lot of guys weren't able to play just from a, a money standpoint, you have to pay for another whole year of college and they're not on scholarship or anything. So it didn't uh, help division three players as much, but we are returning out of our eight seniors. We're returning uh, five of them. So it should be good. All good. And I think a lot of schools are, are returning the same thing. I know Texas baseball or excuse me, Oklahoma baseball talked about how they're returning all their seniors and, it's going to make for huge rosters um, come, come fall time. It's also impacted the summer. You were scheduled to play in the New York Collegiate League, and, and that was uh, one of many leagues that, that got wiped out. You haven't been playing locally here. It's got to be neat just to get on a field and get at bats and be playing a game based on what we've all been through. <laughs> well, it was really interesting. The first time I played a baseball game live at bats in four months ended up being against my little brother's team, which is never a situation I thought myself uh, being in. But it, it was a lot of fun, and it's it's fun to get at bats in. And it's like people throwing eighty five miles an hour. It seems like it's pretty hard, just because you haven't seen any live at bats in in a while. But it's it's definitely fun, and we're blessed to be able to get on the field because there's so many kids who aren't going to be able to get on the field this year because of what happened with COVID. Absolutely, and, and also. Now that you're seeing, you're a huge fan of the Rockies and you're seeing major league camps get going, have you 
paid closer attention to it at all? Uh, it's definitely exciting. Uh, there's not as much a bunch of live ABs off their own guys, and the MLBs trying to hype that up and probably they'd go Alex Bregman against Justin Verlander and Cody Bellinger um, against Clayton Kershaw, just guys like that. There's a ton of cool matchups that'll happen that you never would get to see. So uh, I think it's a good in, way to get this baseball season rolling with guys, matchups that you don't get to see all the time. You saw actually the other day, Giancarlo Stanton uh, versus Tanaka, and he ended up hitting a line drive off his head, which was a scary moment. But just matchups like that would be be cool to get going, get the back in the swing of things. Yeah, from the Rockies' perspective, as you know, because you watched the video of it, Herman Marquez yesterday faced Nolan, and uh, I guess Nolan at one point lined the ball to left field and hit it out. But, uh, you know, that's a great matchup here in town. I went down uh, on Saturday for the first workout, and I spent a couple hours at the press box level. It's it's different in what I do. Normally, you'd be standing there around the cage and visiting with guys and, and, and talking, and that's uh, one of the ways I get – some of my homework done in preparation for the season. Uh, so you're watching from, you know, a couple hundred feet away and, and they were really small groups. And, and you've been to spring training many times, Zach, and you see guys working out and doing like you do in college baseball activities, but in large groups and guys mingling together, but everybody really is taking this seriously. They were social distanced. Um, all the coaches had masks on trainers had masks on and, and uh, one, one of the guys that you admire the most uh, with the Rockies, because you're a catcher, is Tony Walters. And Tony's talking about actually wearing a mask under his, you know, face mask, if you will. Uh, that's interesting. As a catcher, you're right next to the umpire the entire game. And then every team, every batter, they send up to the plate. So that's an easy way to, I guess, transfer. So it's a good thing he's wearing a mask. Um, it's an interesting uh, situation. I think it's going to be really interesting to see just them sitting in the stands. Like, they're not going to be in the dugout all together. They're going to be kind of sitting in the stands. Uh, there's going to be so many weird occurrences. This baseball season is going to be weird, but it'll just be good to see it, it back on the field. And hopefully uh, it holds off enough where we can get a full season in or a full 60 games and then and then playoffs. Again, you follow it very closely and you follow and understand, you know, a, a lot of the numbers of the game and the new metrics of the game. This is going to be really cool. Once they start playing and competing, I mean, it's the best players on the planet playing, and it's just 60 games. And I've pointed this out on previous podcasts now that each game is worth 2.7. So, you know, you lose four in a row during a normal regular season. That's not the end of the world. You lose four or five in a row in this particular season, it can have a, a huge negative impact. How excited are you about the Rockies' prospects and why? It's, it's exciting because just looking at the short season, there's so many exciting things that can happen just in that short period of time. And the, when the Dodgers a few years ago, I think it was 2017, won like 51 games and 60 games. So there should be an incredible streak out of a team uh, or just players putting up insane numbers during that stretch. And it, it should be really exciting. Uh, the Rockies' playoff chances actually went from on fan drafts from 0.5% um, <laughs> for a 162-game season to close to 17% for a city game season because anything can happen. And that's, that's very exciting as, as a Rockies fan and anything like that. But a lot of the prospects, the Rockies, and I don't even know if you could tell, say this is a prospect anymore. It's Ryan McMahon. He was a bona fide starter last, last season, but last season, a lot of people kind of are really high on Ryan McMahon, even though the on field, what you see isn't exactly as hyped as he was yet. But if you look at this 2019 advanced metrics, um, he had a seven percent. He found seven percent more sweet pot, sweet spots than Christian Yelich did in 2017. And we all know how good Christian Yelich was in 2018. Not saying that Ryan McMahon is the next Christian Yelich, which is Christian Yelich is obviously one of the best three or four hitters in the game of baseball. Um, but the potential's there, and just stuff like that. His walk rates are very similar. Uh, they find he found more barrels, the la- uh, launch angles better when you look at stuff like that. And obviously, once again, Christian Yelich is, is unbelievable. But there's metrics that, that say that Ryan McMahon could burst onto the scene as a really, really good hitter. Yeah, I would agree with you. And I, I know going, going back to March when we were doing the podcast before COVID, I, I was on Ryan McMahon. He's been on this show now a couple of times. And he is shorter to the baseball. He had 24 home runs. And he's still figuring out the major leagues, to your point, about where he is as a young player 
um, and, and where Christian Yelich was a couple of years ago. He has, suffice it to say, a really high ceiling. Jeff Breidich was on last week, and one and the first guy he mentioned, one of the first guys he mentioned, was Ryan McMahon and the strides he's made. So I'm with you. I'm, I'm really excited about his prospects. The Rockies will add a DH, you know, because the National League for the first time, are, are, they're going to play with a DH. Sam Hilliard, who we're going to hear from in, in a few minutes, is a guy that, you know, has young legs. He's going to probably play a fair amount of the outfield. But in the in the way they do this, the Rockies are going to have a pretty potent DH, you would think, most days. Especially when they usually had four outfielders kind of rotating through the system last year uh, of who was going out there. Obviously, Desmond's not coming back this year. But a guy with Hilliard, huge pop, 6'4", 240, but he runs really well. And he'll play the outfield a little bit. But you remember stuff. He came up in the big leagues last year, hit a few home runs. And, and he's definitely a guy that can can show out and, and be that DH. And obviously, he signed Matt Kemp. And obviously, he's getting a little bit older. But Matt Kemp has been his gaudy numbers at Coors Field uh, in his career. He's got 333 at-bats, batting 327 with a – one uh, over a thousand OPS, and he's just he's just dominated here at Coors Field. Twenty one home runs, and there's a lot of good options for the Rockies. There is, is they're usually good at offense, uh, and a sixty game season could could really put up some explosive numbers. And Matt Kemp will be a good presence, a strong presence in that clubhouse. Ian Desmond, you know, obviously has opted to to sit out the season and and completely respect his decision, and more importantly, all his teammates respect his decision. But Matt Camp will be a really strong presence uh, in that clubhouse, another uh, you know senior member, if you will, to go along with uh, Daniel Murphy. And you forget, Nolan, you know, Nolan's now been in the league a long time. Guy. Yeah, And it's a big adjustment now. Just, you saw how important guys like Gerardo Parra and Carlos Gonzalez were to the Rockies clubhouse, even – there's there's off field metrics that can't be measured by anything. Excuse me, they're not metrics. They're they can't be measured by metrics. It's uh, the importance of what they do off the field, and it's definitely very special to to get a guy who's a veteran like that, been around the game for so long, and had a lot of success at the big league level uh, to be in the clubhouse. Very good. And with that, Zach, we're gonna take a little time out. We're gonna hear from Marky right now on our good friends at Boyer's Coffee, and we love everything about Boyer's Coffee, Marky. Boyer's Coffee was born in the Rocky Mountains. And as we've had a moment to pause and reflect, Boyer's Coffee is aligning its product offerings with names that are Colorado crafted and breathe local into the community. Just as the Boyer's Denver blend reminds us of the Mile High City and Rocky Mountain Thunder reminds us of our majestic mountains. The new Aspen Gold reminds us of the picturesque Golden Mountainside in the fall. After all, Boyer's is the legendary Rocky Mountain Roaster and can't wait for everyone to enjoy the smooth tasting roast that embodies what it means to be from Colorado. Had my Boyers this morning. Can't wait to get to Coors Field. Have my Boyers as uh, we bring you broadcasts of the Rockies beginning the third week of July on AT&T Sportsnet. Also, uh, can't say enough about our good friends at Ideal Home Loans. Brent Ivinson has been in business since 2001. Give them a call, as so many have done, not only throughout the last 19 years, but especially right now with interest rates at historic lows. 303-867-7000. 303-867-7000. Ideal Home Loans. I've used them. I'm about to refinance again because rates, as we uh, were just chatting about, are so, so good. They have an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau. They are outstanding in making you feel comfortable and working you through the process of either getting a home loan, refinancing, or consolidating debt. Again, their phone number, 303-867-7000. Ideal Home Loans, 303-867-7000. And every week, as you know, they bring us our interview of the week. And uh, this next guy is a really interesting young man who has a bright future as a baseball player, but he's a very introspective kid. He's not so much a kid. He's 26 now. Sam Hilliard. First of all, Sam, this is the natural question for everybody. Uh, how did you spend your time after spring training got shut down? Well, um, my fiance, uh, her job kind of got shut down. She was able to work remotely, so she drove out to Arizona and I just try to continue to hit and just stay in baseball shape. Uh, but other than that, I just got to spend, you know, probably the most time I've ever got to spend with my fiance, which is great. And uh, I try to play a little bit of golf and um, just really try to stay in baseball shape and just do some things that, uh, 
you know, you otherwise wouldn't have all the time in the world to do, like catch up on some books and just call some friends and stuff like that. So it was really boring for a lot of the times, but I tried to stay busy. Well, good deal. And by the way, um, from your perspective, it was great that you got to spend all that time with your fiance. If I were talking to her right now, would she answer it the same way? <laughs> That's a good question. I don't know. That's a very good question, but uh, I hope she would. Yeah, I think yeah. she would. Good, because you, cause you know there, there's relationships and then there's baseball relationships where everybody's like, well, this is great. He's gone seven months a year, so, you know, no big deal. Yeah, exactly. Hey, you did something a little different because um, uh, it gets, as we all know, it gets super hot down in, in, in the Phoenix area, and you, you hung in there for a while. And then you, you did something I haven't heard before, so I'll let you I- explain where you decided to move to. Yeah, so uh, never been in Phoenix area during the summer months, and uh, it it just uh, got way too hot for for us. We also have a golden retriever, and he he got to the point where he couldn't even go outside. So um, my uncle has a a mountain home in Edwards, Colorado, and uh, so I called him up and said, hey, uh, you know, I want to be around as spring training happens. I want to be close, but I just I'm ready to leave Arizona. So do you mind if we go stay there and, and I kind of commute back and forth to Denver and stay ready up there? And he's like, yeah, no problem. Like, that's why we have it. So we uh, got out of Scottsdale and drove up to Edwards and kind of lived there for the last month. And I was commuting to Denver and it was about a, you know, close to a two hour drive, but it was very scenic and beautiful. And I didn't mind it at all. I just turn on a podcast and um, just kind of cruise. But, uh, I'm all moved into Denver now, but I really, really enjoyed my time in Edwards. It's it's crazy beautiful out there. Yeah, it is. I'll tell you what, you talk about getting away from it. That That is one of the uh, reasons we all love to live in Colorado. I want to take you back to last September where, you know, hardcore Rockies fans knew of your growth through the system and your power-speed combination. And when you got to the big leagues – you you can say what very few others are able to say, and that is your first major league hit. You got to trot around the bases. Take us take us back through that and what you were thinking about, not only in that at bat, but when you knew that you were going to play for the first time at, at the highest level. Yeah, so, I mean, just whenever I got that call, I mean, it wasn't a call. I was in my coach's office in AAA. Whenever he told me, it was just like a crazy rush of emotions that I'm sure everyone experiences whenever uh, they receive that news. <clears throat> but it was just kind of just pure shock. And uh, I always thought I would kind of break down in tears <laughs> whenever I heard that news, but I never did, which was surprising to me. But uh, so I didn't sleep a wink that night, not even one second. And then I got on a plane the next day, early in the morning to go to Denver. And whenever I heard uh, I was playing center field versus the Red Sox, uh, in my debut that night, you know, it was just the excitement, nerves, you know, butterflies in the stomach, all the emotions just came rushing in. And uh, I really, leading up that year in AAA, I hadn't played that much center field. And then uh, when I got to the big leagues, I, I played almost exclusively center field. <laughs> I played a little bit of right and left too, but uh, it was great because I love playing center and I, and I know I can do it. So it was a great opportunity for me. And I had a lot of fun doing it, but. Uh, whenever I saw starting, you know, uh, I was like, all right, let's go. That was quick. And I uh, had to prepare myself and do my routine and uh, get myself locked in. And, and uh, you know, with all the emotions and nerves flowing through my body, it took me a couple of baths to kind of feel like this is a, a baseball game. This is the same game you've always played, you know, because uh, of all the lights and sounds and, and people and all that stuff. So, yeah, whenever I, I got that first hit, I, I knew it was gone right when I connected. I always tell uh, people, I don't even remember running around the bases. I, I remember making contact. I remember stepping on second base and thinking to myself, don't trip, because I, I kind of felt like I, I was going to trip. And then uh, next thing I know, I was in the dugout. And uh, I've watched the video of myself hitting a homer probably hundreds of times now, but uh I, to be honest, I don't remember much of that moment. Yeah, that that was that was special, and your and your family was there as well, weren't they? Yes, yeah, yeah, and uh, that's in the video. Uh, you know, 
they pay into my family, and it's mostly my three friends that get the screen time because they're they go like uh, Wrestle, <laughs> WrestleMania mode, and they're like <laughs> tackling each other, and it's just it's great to see. But yeah, my my whole family was there. I had like 16 people, and uh, getting to see them after the game was truly awesome. And then just kind of seeing their reaction to the homer was it really makes me smile, and it was just a great memory. Yeah, I have to tell you, and I, I just this just came to mind. I, I get asked periodically from people, "Hey, what's your favorite call? What's your favorite moment, etc." And and honestly, one of my favorite moments is when people like yourself get that first day in the big leagues, that opportunity, and, and especially when they when they do something you know ridiculously special as you did, and and you get to show the shots of your of the family and so on, because, you know, it, you realize that you're, you're a very tiny part of what is one of the great moments of that person's life and that, that family. And, and being a baseball family myself, I, I know, you know, between mom and dad and, and your, and your brothers, how, how they took you to so many practices and games and travel and, and so on. And then see the culmination. It, it really is special, isn't it? Yeah, it's truly special. And every time I watch that video, I'll hear you calling it too. So yeah, you're right. That's that's awesome too. But uh, uh, yeah, it's it's really cool to see that happen. You know, the same thing with Dom Nunez. He hit a homer in his uh, his debut. Same thing, his fourth at bat. And uh, you know, it's just it's really cool to see uh, other people do that as well. Especially he was my roommate in Albuquerque. So the fact that we both had an opportunity to do that was really cool and it's a memory we'll share together forever. Absolutely. And I know for Rockies fans, one of the memories they're going to have of last year, which unfortunately was a disappointing season overall by record was not only that first day for you in the big leagues, but it was the entire month because, you know, people had read about your exploits and you had a fabulous year uh, in Albuquerque. Uh, it seemed like every stop you were an all-star. I know you had a good uh, AFL, Arizona Fall League the previous year. But when I'm, when I look at, at your body of work in September, I mean, seven home runs left on left against Hader, uh, against some, some top, top lefties in the game. Overall, you, you kind of put your foot down and said, I belong. I mean, do, does it feel that way? Uh, yeah, definitely. Uh, I I definitely feel that way. Um, you know, I was getting over that hump. I I had a home run in the debut, obviously, and then the first couple games I did pretty good. And then I really struggled for the next eight games or so. It felt like a lot longer than that, but I think that's about how long it was. And then I made, a, um, you know, a couple adjustments, mental and uh, physical adjustments, and, and uh and then it, something just kind of clicked. Uh, it was in the series that we had with the Mets, and then after that, I kind of carried that through to the end of the season. But like you said, I was having success against some uh, established pitchers, and the feeling that that brings you is just like a true confidence whenever, you know, it's like, okay, I'm going to the big leagues. I, I wonder how different it's going to be, like how different the pitching and the talent's going to be. And whenever you can succeed against guys that are considered the best in the game, it really just uh, feels – fuels you and, and fills you with confidence and um, that feeling of knowing you belong and knowing that you can succeed in that environment is a really good feeling in it. And, uh, you know, I think it just breeds more success. At what point in time during your, I, I want to take you all the way back. Uh, actually, I want to go back to Mansfield, Texas. And, you know, you, you're a big kid. You come from, you know, uh, you, your dad was a, obviously a marvelous athlete, a linebacker at Texas, um, but you weren't, you weren't quote unquote this this big time prospect coming out of high school, were you? No, not not whatsoever. Um, so I was a late bloomer, big time, and <clears throat> so my junior year of high school, I kind of had this medical issue where I had internal bleeding in my stomach, and uh, it had been bleeding for three, four years without us even realizing it. So. Uh, I was never really a big kid. I was average height, skinny, um, but I was always a good, a good athlete. And then my freshman, sophomore, junior year of high school, I uh, slowly started becoming skinnier and more pale and uh, just, you know, not sick, but 
um, just <laughs> kind of weak. And right. It was weird because I was like, you know, I keep working hard and I'm not getting in shape. And it got to the point where I couldn't really run a lap around the track without having to stop and like lay down. It was really bad. And uh, they took me to the hospital and they, they thought there was something wrong with my heart. Anyways, it's a long story. Um, and then they figured out that, oh, well, you, you don't have that much blood. Like you've been bleeding out of somewhere. So they filled they, I went to the hospital. I got five bags of blood transfused into me and, um, like I spent a couple more days there. And then the day that I got out, I had the color back in me and I felt amazing. And like, I went out and I could run like a five minute mile. And it was just like, I felt like a new person. I felt like how I used to feel. And then after that, I started, you know, I hit a growth spurt and I started filling out. Actually, I could put weight on (laughs) before that. I was like six, three, one fifty, really skinny. And then, um, so yeah, but then I, I was able to fill out and kind of, uh, I believe that's where my baseball career started to take off. And I got an offer to a JUCO in Texas. And then um, I ended up going to a different JUCO in Missouri where I believe I got the good, you know, the good coaching. And I had opportunities there to show my talent. And then the rest is history after that. Yeah. Now you were drafted out of that, you know, out of the, the second JC in Missouri. But I assume you were drafted then as the left-handed pitcher. Is that accurate? Yes. When did you become a better position player prospect than pitching prospect? That's a good question. Um, I I got drafted as a left-handed pitcher, turned it down because I wanted to go to Wichita State or I wanted to play Division One baseball. It's always a dream of mine. Um, you know, I I went there with the thought in my mind, I'm going to develop and become a first-round left-handed p- starting pitcher. Um, and then my velo, I don't know what happened. My arm just started hanging because I was a, I'd always been a two way and I was playing outfield and trying to be a starting pitcher. So my arm kind of started hanging. I think something kind of went wrong with my mechanics and I just got completely shelled that year. And, uh, but you know, something kind of clicked with my stick, with my bat and, uh, I had a good year offensively and up leading the day to the draft. I had no idea if I was going to be drafted as a pitcher or a hitter. I believe the only two teams that wanted me as a hitter were the Rockies and the Rays. And the Rockies ended up taking a, a flyer me in the 15th round. Uh, they had a scout, uh, his name's Brett Baldwin, area scout, um, who kind of recognized something in me. And they took a chance on me. And uh, I believe, you know, when I got to Grand Junction, I started thinking like, like you're a hitter, you you can do this. Whenever I started having some success, because I was still very very raw as a hitter at that point, and uh, yeah, I think it was probably my first year of rookie ball when I realized that I I could actually make something happen uh, as a position player. Do you think your work ethic and and for those that are, are still learning about Sam Hilliard, I've I've heard along the way that. I mean, everybody to, to be a professional has to have a good work ethic, but there's a separation. There's guys who have extraordinary work ethics, and you fall in that category. Is that who you always were, or is it the fact that you had a greater sense of motivation because you went through the medical thing uh, in high school, um, you were not this ballyhooed prospect, and typically when you get to a Wichita State and certainly into pro ball – Everybody there was the be all end all in high school and, and, and even prior to that. So where does the where does the work ethic emanate from? Yeah, I, I wouldn't say that I I've always had that in me. Um I kinda just rely on on talent alone and uh, I really wasn't that driven in high school. I just loved baseball and I loved playing with my friends and stuff and I would say is whenever I got to my sophomore year of college uh, junior college uh called Crowder in Missouri. And the coach there, his name's Travis Lolliman. He, uh, you know, definitely one of the the best coaches and the best people I've ever had in my life. He, um, I would say that him and that coaching staff kind of instilled the work ethic in me. Uh, one of the situations where you, uh, you're pushed to limits that you didn't know that you had, uh, in workouts. And, um, it was a, a great bonding experience with my teammates through blood, sweat, and tears type of situation. And, Whenever you are pushed past your limits, you realize you you can go farther and go harder than than you thought you could, and then it's you know you end up liking that 
feeling. And I feel like um, that really established that work, ec- work ethic in me, and I've carried it with me to Wichita State and into pro ball. And uh, like you said, I was never highly touted as a prospect, and I kind of like that, um, having the, you know, the odds stacked against me a little bit. I like people kind of overlooking me and being underrated, and I learned to love that. It's just uh, it's fuel to uh, to work harder and, and play harder and be more focused on the field. And um, So, yeah, I, I, uh, I believe it started probably my sophomore year of college, and I'm very, very grateful for Coach Wallman in, in that year of my life. Hey, I got to go back one more time to high school. You grew up in Texas, man, and you, and, and your dad went to the University of Texas, which, you know, is a legendary school to begin with, but especially from a football standpoint, uh, and he's a linebacker there. You're, I, I understand you were skinny, but did you play football at all? And had Because I know you played hoops, right? Yeah, I played basketball a little bit in high school. Uh, but, yeah, I played football growing up until – after my eighth grade year, I was always good. I was always, you know, starting on, on a team or whatever, but it's just middle school. My dad, uh, after his football career, he became an orthopedic surgeon. So he was very well versed in, you know, sports injuries. And he saw a lot of football players come in and he, you know, he never told me don't play, but he always had me be very aware of the possibility of injury. And so, <laughs> He was like, it wasn't that he was discouraging me to play, but, you know, he was saying this could happen. So uh, I kind of listened to that, and I was like, I don't really want to get hurt, and I'm better at baseball. And also around the time I started high school, I was like, I'm not that big either. And I didn't know I was going to end up being big. If I knew I was going to be this big, I probably would have gone out for tight end or something. But, um yeah, I stopped playing, and my dad was completely fine with that. Uh, but, you know, I always loved the game of football, and I wish – I honestly wish I played in high school. Yeah, again, especially down there, um, it's it's kind of it's kind of religion. In fact, I was down at a baseball tournament last week down there, and we went by Allen High School. You ever been to Allen High School? That place, yes, I've been there. It's crazy. It's like a university. It's a university. It's ridiculous. Their football stadium's a joke. They have luxury suites. Yeah. I think it was like almost seventy million dollars uh, to build that thing. My my aunt is a teacher at that high school. Oh, okay. There you go. Yeah, it's, and then and then you go down the street and there's McKinney High School Stadium. Um, it's just it, for people who are not from Texas, it, it literally would be impossible for them to believe. Uh, you know, you know, you're from down there. The athletic facilities. So. Yeah, it's something else. It's something to behold. <laughs> yeah, it really is. The baseball facilities there are great also. Hey, um, you, you have a rare deal, man, in that you can hit the ball a mile, but you run, despite being 6'5", and whether you're playing at 240 or, or two and a quarter, I mean, you run exceptionally well. That's unusual. And um, were you always somebody that could run? Yeah, I was I was definitely always somebody that could run, um, but I wasn't always somebody that could hit for power and hit the ball a long way. That was something that I developed later as I kind of started to grow and figure my swing out and stuff. So, um, growing up, like I, like I said, I wasn't big until later in life. So, I just, you know, I kind of kept that speed with me, and um, I don't feel like I'm a huge guy out there when I'm running. I kind of still feel like that you know, young kid, whenever I, I was growing up, that was fast. And I, I still feel that way when I'm out there competing and running at my top speed. Um, but like I said, the, the power is what, is what came second. So that's what uh, I developed in college and in pro ball. So I'm going to ask you a question, tell you a quick story in the same breath. Uh, I was with John Gray the other day. He was throwing a bullpen at, at a facility that I'm associated with uh, prior to you know, things opening up at Coors Field and, and things are different right now. I'll let you go through that in a little bit. But but John was like a little kid. He was so excited about meeting Matt Kemp because they're both from Oklahoma. Matt Kemp, kind of a legendary figure in that state. And John said, he's going to get tired of me because I'm going to chew his ear off with questions. Have you had in, in how things are different now and, and you kind of not everybody arrives at the same time at, at the summer camp, if you will. 
But Matt Kemp is somebody I would think you really want to talk to also because Matt, in his prime, like you, big dude, hit the ball over the wall, ran really well, played center field. Um, I, I would. I, I, so I'm asking you, have you had an opportunity yet, or is it something on your agenda? Um, I've only got to meet him so far. I haven't had an opportunity to pick his brain so far as uh, the power-speed combo and kind of just like learning from him on that aspect. But, man, I've got to talk to him. And same as John Gray. It's like, I mean, I'm not from Oklahoma, thank God, but uh, I grew up <laughs> watching him. <laughs> I grew up watching that guy just like everyone else did. And he's a stud back then. And, um, yeah, I've been taking uh, outfield defense with them because, you know, we're in different groups, but there's not that many outfielders. So we're, we're still all taking our defensive work together and, uh, just hearing him talk about stories whenever, you know, he's played against different legends and stuff like that. It's been really cool. And he just seems like a really awesome dude. And I know he's going to be a good, uh, addition to the, to the team. And, you know, I haven't played against him, but I've heard he absolutely rakes at Coors Field. So. Oh, it's, I, I just, you just like mark it down for a homer and a double and you can drive in three or four. And that's kind of, you know, that was like an average night at, at, at 20th and Blake for him. But yeah, but that's a, it's an interesting comparison. And for those that uh, don't know, you know, you stole over 100 bases in the minor leagues. And um, I know you want to have that continue at the big league level. Yeah, no doubt. Um, that, you know, I seriously take pride in that part of my game, and I, I want that to continue to be a part of my game. And it took me a little bit to, you know, muster up the the uh, confidence, I guess, to try and steal a bag last year because, you know, we played some pretty good catchers, and we played the Cardinals with Yadier Molina back there. So I was kind of trying to get a feel for it. And um, the last series against the Brewers, I finally it was like – you know, I I had the green light. I wasn't getting the, the steal sign or anything. But I was like, you know, let's see, let's see, let's put your speed to the test. And it was at the end of the year, my first time playing 162. So I wasn't in, uh, you know, midseason shape by any means. But I just had a little bit of adrenaline. I was like, let's go. So I stole a base, and then the next pitch I stole another one. And I was like, all right, you know, this is the same game. Like, let's go. So I've been really working on my speed still, and I, I believe I've gotten even maybe a little bit faster, at least a better base runner. So looking forward to testing my skills against the, the best catchers in the league. And I, I want to, you know, I want to keep stealing bases. That's a huge part of my game. So, yeah. Hey, hey Sam, real quick. What do you, cause last year when I saw you in spring training, 2019, I want to say when we chatted, you were around 240 ish. And then when I saw you in September, you had dropped, uh, you tell me, I don't know about 15 pounds or so. What, what do you want to play at? Uh, in a couple of weeks. So, yeah, it was even more than 15. It was probably more like 20, but I was skinny for sure. But um, I like to be around 225, 230. I usually come into spring training around 240 uh, because I know during the season that I'm going to lose weight. And I believe that's uh, partly to do with the fact that I was in the minor leagues. And as everyone knows, the, you know, the travel, the food, it's not quite as good. So I was very much looking forward to this year and seeing um, how much easier it was going to be to maintain my weight because I've never had a problem losing it. But, uh, you know, it would be better um, with the, you know, the workout, the, the the weight room accessibility and the food and all that stuff. So, but to answer your question, I think about 230, 225, I still feel big, but I can still run and move pretty fast. Yeah, good deal. You, you diplomatically put that, 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 that there's slight differences between the travel and the uh, uh, food that you Very get yeah, at, at the big league level. I, I want to talk to you a little bit. We mentioned we mentioned your dad and, and, and your mom. And for those that don't know, you're, you know, I told everybody your dad, uh, as you said, orthopedic surgeon, was a, was a linebacker at Texas back in his day. Mom was a, a former Miss Texas. And I guess when she finished in the in the top four or five in Miss America, is that right? Yeah, she was fourth runner up, so fifth place in Miss America. That ain't bad. That's good, yeah. Yeah, that that's not bad. Um, your dad, and it's been well chronicled, is, is battling uh, ALS. And uh, Sam, initially, I, I think if, if what I read was accurate, you you preferred not to talk about it. But you've 
you've now embraced it to, from a research standpoint and trying to raise not only awareness but but money. So, if you would, um, you know, take us through first how your dad's doing right now, and, and then um, what you're doing and, and your family's doing um, to try to raise awareness and raise money for research. Yeah, well, um, he's doing good. Um, he is you know, cooped up at home, obviously, with corona going on. It's not like he would be out and about anyways, but he kind of stays at home and not many people are allowed. It's just kind of the core group of friends that they have and my brothers and um, family. So he uh, he's doing well. He's, you know, he, he sits uh, out on the porch. That's what he loves to do and read and have friends come over. So corona hasn't changed his life too much, which is a good thing. And I FaceTime him every day. You know, I wish I, I got to go home during the quarantine, but it was just a little bit too uh, sketchy, if you will, for me because I knew I was going to be going to work out and seeing different people, and I just uh, I didn't want to risk anything. So, but yeah, he's doing good. And, um, yeah, so at the beginning, whenever he uh, was first diagnosed, he was diagnosed in early 2018 and uh, kind of kept it uh, – close to home, didn't really tell many people. And then whenever it became public news, uh, that was one thing that the media wanted to ask me about. And it was still new to me, and I didn't know how to handle it. And obviously, it's a tough thing to uh, to have to deal with. So I didn't really know how to talk about it, and I didn't want to. Um, but then, you know, I got to the point, I believe it was sometime early last year <clears throat> during the season, and I was like, you know, you, you're not doing uh, – a service to your dad or to your family by keeping it to yourself. You know, I believe that talking about it and um, raising awareness about it, it would be beneficial to not only my dad, but the ALS community and the cause. And uh, so it's kind of just like a suck it up moment for me. And uh, now just to answer your question about what my family's doing, you know, we started, uh, well, mainly my mom started uh, Team Hilliard, which is kind of our, family um, organization and we have a website you can go to team Hilliard on Twitter or Instagram and you can click on the link there's a link in the bio and it takes you to our website and, and um, it's just pretty much describes my dad's story and my family's story and his journey and how, when he was diagnosed and um, kind of what's going on with all that and, you know it explains about how ALS is uh, you know what it does and how it's um, an underfunded disease. Uh, it, you know, it doesn't get near as much funding as other diseases, and uh, there's no cure. But the more awareness that is raised and the more funding is raised, uh, the closer that we get. So there's definitely a lot of hope um, in regarding the cure and finding it. So um, if, if you're listening and you want to help, um, Team Hill, you can go buy a shirt or you can go buy some merch or like a wristband or something. It's got a nice shirt uh, with Rocky's colors, and there's a, you know, my, like, silhouette crushing a baseball. So that's cool. And, um, you know, a lot of guys on the team, I gave them shirts, and they rock them sometimes. So they look good. And, you know, if you go purchase one, you're, you're helping us out, and you're doing a great thing for ALS research. And, uh, yeah, so my dad – is uh, he's doing good, and the way he's handled it is truly inspiring to me and my family. And um, yeah, we're just taking it day by day. Absolutely, well, well put. Um, and and I know you've also done some things with Stephen Piscotti, who you know lost unfortunately his mom to uh, ALS, and um, and and I know you two guys have collaborated a little bit. Isn't that correct? Yeah, a little bit. Um, it's mostly uh, his his dad who I talked with. I know Stephen's busy. I just met him uh, in spring training, but they hold a, a golf tournament every year. Uh, Brandon Crawford and Piscotti are good friends, and Crawford puts on this tournament for ALS research and uh, for Steven's mom. And we kind of collaborated a little bit with that. Uh, I went, and, they, you know, they let me come and kind of see what it was all about, and I think we're going to be more involved with it next year. And uh, so it happens during spring training, and, Hopefully we can, um, you know, get in touch and kind of work together on it instead of being just a, a guest next year, maybe actually help host the thing and help them, you know, raise awareness and just uh, get some good people out there, play some golf, and also 
raise some money. So it was a cool experience, and you know, shout out to the Piscottis. They're they're a great family. Absolutely. Hey, as we transition to to, to baseball again, and that's uh, you know not an easy segue, but right now it's not at all like normal spring training. I was there on Saturday, and Sam. You know, you see groups of four or five guys at a time, maybe taking BP, and then they go inside the field empties, and then another four guys come out. So there, you have teammates as we speak right now, and it's a, a Monday morning who are working out. But your your time of arrival is not till later in the day. So t- take us through w- what your day looks like now in this spring training 2.0. Uh, even medically, I mean, you have to every morning do some things before you even go down to the ballpark. So, to take people through that routine, if you would. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff. So, forgive me. I'm probably going to skip over some. But so the first thing is, you know, we have this player app that we have to wake up and take our temperature before we do anything. Um, you know, before we brush your teeth because they don't want the, you know, the reading of the temperature to be messed up by anything, or so they just want that natural first thing in the morning, morning breath temperature. So you have to upload it to an app and you've got to answer questions about, you know, yes or no, if you've been experiencing any symptoms or if you come in contact with anyone, you have to submit that. Um, and so that's sent right to our medical staff and um, they have all that information right away. So if you don't fill that out, they don't let you in the stadium. And you got to have, you know, all players are considered tier one. There's three tiers. We have to have our badge that, says our tier on it and if you don't have that you're you can't get into the stadium and when you get to the stadium you know you got to answer a few more questions and have your temperature taken again um and you have to wear a mask so there's a lot of things going on and like you said there's different groups so you know i don't have to go in until a little bit later today um but it's uh it's interesting you know we show up and you know i'm walking into the field while people are getting done working out people that I usually worked with and it's just like man it feels weird because it feels like I'm late but I'm not, I'm not actually late I always find myself double checking the schedule like what time am I supposed to be there okay so I, it's just really weird you got to be extremely fluid and you got to be you know able willing to just kind of adapt to the schedule and um, you know everyone's still getting after it everyone is working hard and you know everyone on the team has agreed to take all the precautions that are recommended and take them very seriously because we believe that the healthiest team is going to be the best team. So um, we're going with the flow and we're, we're being smart. Yeah. Hey, Sam, how, how much are, are, are conversations now typical of, you know, baseball and being able to compete and, and, you know, try to win a division and that sort of thing. And how much is it of the, guidelines and COVID, et, et cetera. Is there a balance or once you get there, are people really more talking about, about ball? Yeah. So, I mean, obviously right when we got there, it was meetings and more meetings and going over guidelines and protocols about Corona. So it was like, for me, the vibe was let's get all this stuff out of the way and then focus on baseball. Cause you know, obviously everyone's thinking about Corona. You leave the field. It's all you see, like people wearing masks and whatnot, but on the field, you know, we talked about it as a team. We, we, we were like, we're going to get after it. Other teams are getting after it. Like, this is a short season. It's almost like a college season. You know, we have a, a legit chance to be right in the mix, and and I think everyone realizes that. And the way you can see people working, it, it kind of reflects that attitude. You know, everyone is really getting after it, and um, you can kind of feel the intensity out there. So. Uh, I know most of the talk now is just like, hey, we have a chance. We have a serious chance to do some damage, and, um, you know, we're getting after it as a team. Hey, hey one of the last ones, with, with Ian Desmond uh, opting out, which I know everyone um, within uh, – really within the game and certainly within your clubhouse that I've talked to have great respect for, for his decision and understanding for his decision as do I. Uh, but it also opens up, if you will, a, another outfield spot. There is also the DH this year uh, in the national league for the first time. How do you perceive your role? Um, you know, I just, I perceive my role as I have an opportunity this year to, to impact and really help the team. Um, I don't know 
necessarily what my role is going to be. If at the beginning, you know, it, it could be a number of different things. But uh, I know one thing's for sure is that I have an opportunity to help the team this year, uh, more so than I than I have before. So um, whether it's coming off the bench or whether it's starting, I'm going to, you know, work my butt off in spring and do everything I can to have every opportunity to help the team win. And, uh, you know, I'm not going to take it for granted. Well put. Hey, Sam, I really enjoyed it. I know, I know you got to get ready right now to, uh, <laughs> to go in because you have a date at the, at the ballpark coming up this afternoon. But uh, I really enjoyed it. Um, I know I speak for, for everybody in the region. We wish you nothing but uh, success on the field, uh, continued success on the field, and, and all the best to your family and specifically to your pop. Thank you very much, sir. I really appreciate it, man. Thanks for having me on. You, you bet. Anytime, man. And uh, I look, I, as I told John <laughs> the other day, because uh, I, I literally saw him. I said, all right, dude, man, great. Uh, you know, have a great season, and I'll see you next spring training, because literally that may be the next time we get to see each other. But uh, right. I'll, I'll be rooting for you uh, along the way, obviously, man. Take care of yourself. All right. Sounds good. You too. I can't tell you how big a fan I am of Sam Hilliard. I got to know him a little bit in spring training a year ago, now a year and a half ago, I guess. And, uh, and then when he came up, in September. He's mature. He's bright. He has a phenomenal work ethic. And I know you remember you were at school already, but watching from afar, he had a big impact in September. He had seven jacks in September and against some, uh, some big names. Yeah. He had, uh, he took Hinjin, Hinjin Ryu deep. And obviously and he was so impressive last year, just dominated with low, low ERA. And then he took Josh Hader deep the other way. And that's how he tied up the game late. And then it was it the last game of the year. Late was game 162. Yeah. yeah. So he, he took him deep the other way. And, and there's a ton of pop. You take the ball the other way out in the big leagues, you know, <laughs> you have some pop to him. And he did that several times last year. He's definitely got a lot of pop and could be a huge addition to this Rockies lineup. And he probably had an opportunity if he stayed in AAA a little bit longer to come close to being a 30-30 guy because he hit 32 home runs in Albuquerque. I think he ended up with 22 stolen bases. This is not a fluke. He legitimately is fast, and you heard him during the podcast saying he feels that they may be even a little faster than he was last year. And he's a big man. He's 6'5", you know, he's going to play, he said, around 230 or so, but uh, he's really intriguing. Yeah, very intriguing. A guy that big is very rarely that fast, and especially at those long strides. And seeing Charlie Blackman used to do that, you long stride it out. And uh, it's it's definitely very interesting. A game that's kind of molded away from stolen bases, but he's still putting up 22 a year is is very impressive. And I guess the biggest key for him, and, and all power hitters, it seems, and maybe most hitters in this day and age, is learning how to define his strike zone, pitch recognition, so he can cut down on the strikeouts. He was he was around 32-plus percent most of his minor league career. He lowered it some last year in Albuquerque into the high 20s. And honestly, if he can be around 25%, even though that's higher than the average of 22%, the damage that he's going to do from an OPS standpoint, you're talking about a guy that, as we said, we used this phrase earlier about Ryan McMahon, who you brought up, really high ceiling. And that's what the game's kind of uh, de- uh, developed into now. It's a home run strikeout kind of game. Pitchers are throwing harder. There's high spin rates. They get tons of strikeouts. And guys are hitting the ball farther than ever now, too. So that's one of the guys that Hilliard really fits that mold. And he's going to do damage it in this day and age, in the, in the modern era of baseball. Yeah. And um, it, it'll be exciting to see how Buddy uses that lineup every day. And I said this last week, Zach. You know, normally you're going to give – even your superstars, uh, you know, days off here and there to keep them fresh. Uh, Nolan came out and said, I don't want any days off. Buddy probably would, would agree with that because, you know, when, when you're playing 60, you need your superstars out there every day. But it's nice to know you have significant depth with a guy like Sam Hilliard. I want to change uh, topics briefly on you. With the Rockies playing 40 against the NL West and 20 against the AL West, Pretty interesting um, in that you're going to see some some teams that are really good in the American League just by the fact that they're out west. <laughs> yeah, it's a bummer we're not playing in the AL Central or uh, the NL Central uh, to it this year. But 
Uh, he had to play the AL West, and that's a, a very deep division. You have the the A's, who were good last year. Of course, you have to go with the Astros, who uh, lost in Game 7 of the World Series last year, returning, obviously, an unbelievable lineup. On paper last year, when they had Garrett Cole, that was maybe the best lineup I've ever seen. Uh, and obviously, the Nationals beat them. But still a very impressive team coming back. And then the Angels added Anthony Rendon this year. They had Shohei Itani back. Uh, there's going to be a lot of... A lot of good games through there, and it's a tough division, a tough task for the Rockies up against them. Yeah, because, again, the NL West figures to be solid. It begins with the Dodgers, uh, as it always seems to. Arizona had a surprisingly good year last year. San Diego has some of the best young talent in baseball. The Giants seem to be in transition. But as you said earlier, anything can happen in 60 games. And the Rockies are known for getting off to really hard starts. And obviously last year it was the, the exact opposite of a uh, hot start, but even in years in the those mid 2010s where they weren't very successful at the end of the year, they would start out really, really hot. And you know what? That's all it takes this year is a, a, a hot start. Guys getting hot at the start, and they can surprise some people. They have a lineup that can do it, and a pitching rotation. You hope. That, I mean, obviously Marquez is your guy, and you hope Freeland comes back to form. And there's just a lot of good things looking up for them. The uh, John Bray pitched well last year, and there's a lot of good things looking up. And to your point, they started 3-12 and last year, dreadful start. And yet at the 60-game mark, they were 31-29. and And I think the number in your head, folks, if you're wondering, what will it take to be one of the postseason teams, a wild card, I would think around 34 wins is going to put you in the mix. I mean, if you win 35, it's kind of funny talking in these terms, but if you win 35 uh, out of your first 60, you probably could rubber stamp your way into the postseason, I would think. I mean, we'll see how it plays out. Uh, but you're right. The Rockies typically, uh, after 60 games the last few years, have been pretty good. And it's it's really exciting just for the entire league this year at the standpoint of it's a 60-game season. That's what baseball often gets overshadowed by football. Is football, when they play, it's an event. There's 16 games a year, each game the importance. Obviously, we're not playing 16 games. We're playing 60, so – the game's still have a little bit less importance. But when you're playing 162 compared to 60, each game, it'll be interesting to see the way, the way bullpens are used because you're going to go all out to win every single game. And it, it's going to be really exciting. So uh, this could be a year for the MLB that, especially they'll come back a few days earlier than any other sports to to really grow their fan base and uh, create some exciting atmosphere because and really anyone has a shot. If No one's out of this playoff race. So. No, absolutely. The Miami, Miami Marlins are saying, hey, we can win this thing, which mm-hmm. you know you probably wouldn't have said over 162 games. Last thought, I saw, uh, I heard this from Scott Oberg when I was down at the ballpark and on a Zoom call after uh, one of his workouts, and I hadn't thought about this, but he said it could be an advantage for the Rockies in that they are training for three weeks at altitude as opposed to training, Zach, as you know, down in Scottsdale. And then the first time they go to altitude, the games count. And so the pitchers especially are having to make that adjustment to pitching at altitude, less ball movement, release point changes. And yet now they have three weeks where they're working out there. Hadn't thought about it, but I thought, you know, it's a pitcher talking. I thought it was a very astute observation. It could be beneficial. <laughs> that's actually really – that's not something you normally would think about just because it's not something that would ever happen except there was a global pandemic. So now there's, uh, they're, they're training at course Field for three weeks. And that's actually really important because one of the hardest things, not just for the pitchers but for Rockies hitters to do too, is the spin difference and how things break at altitude versus – non-altitude and pitchers and hitters have to adjust every single time they leave course field. That's why it's so hard. Uh, and Rockies hitters and pitchers deserve more credit for that. Even though you play course field and they, yeah, I can't stand when they just crush guys like Nolan Arenado when he puts up a lot of really good numbers, but he's still got to go on the road and you have to make that adjustment. And the way the Rockies play um, the first couple of games on the road, historically have not been very good. Even looking at a team, I, I, I couldn't pull up the exact stat that the Dodgers um, at some point last year, over their last three seasons where, or five seasons where they had won the NLS every single year, had really struggled in their first couple of games away from Coors Field over that time where they were way under 500. So there's there's something to it where it's, it's hard to play coming from altitude, going back out to, um, to a lower altitude. And it's a big advantage for the Rockies now. I, I hadn't thought about that to, to be able to get accustomed to Coors Field for three weeks. Yeah, that's a good point. Hey, great job, buddy. I love you.
Uh, me too. <laughs> All right. Go get ready for your game. He's got one coming up. Hey, hope you enjoyed it, everybody. Big thanks to Sam Hilliard once again. Julie, enjoy that week off. And uh, we conclude our first year of the Drew Goodman Podcast with Julie Brown. And we thank all of you for listening. Spread the word. And we'll talk to you again in a week. Take care, everybody. Stay safe. Coffee is back and wants to thank you, our Colorado community, for all the love and support over the years, and especially as Boyers rebuilds their Denver roastery. Support Boyers Coffee, the legendary Rocky Mountain roaster. Pick up a bag of freshly roasted coffee in your local grocery store.